Hi everyone, welcome to this uh, online workshop about grant writing. We've got about 45 minutes today. I don't like to go over time, but I'm happy to hang around a little bit if you'd like some specific help or have a specific question that you'd like to ask. I'll also provide some uh, information and resources about how you can get more support, particularly from me, to help write or do your grant writing as you may um, see fit. Uh, some housekeeping, we're recording today. Uh, it'll go on my blog and uh, my YouTube and my podcast. So if that's something that you don't want to happen, that's fine by me. We can also arrange that parts of the bit that you might have contributed to, whether that be with audio or video, that that can be removed. If you type questions into the chat, I'll see them and I'll generally not mention the name of the person who typed into the chat. So that information won't go live. So if that's how you'd like to participate, by all means, go ahead and uh, do that. My assistant will send you the uh, link to the recording before it goes live on YouTube. So you'll get a chance to see it. We don't wait for feedback. So we generally give people about a week before the, this goes live. So if you've, you need to review it relatively um, quickly before it goes, it'll end up live. But if you do end up running out of time and not being able to look at it, and then you see it later and you'd like some stuff changed in relation to how you were presented, uh, you can always write to us and we'll do our best to accommodate those uh, later requests. Obviously, you already know a little bit about me and how to get in touch, but if you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, I'd love if you did that. Uh, Richard Heismans is my LinkedIn name. Uh, that would be great if you could connect there. If you're connected on LinkedIn already, come, come and join me on Twitter. I ask questions, run polls, uh, make comments, etc. So please do connect on or follow me on Twitter. Um, if you're more of an Instagram or a Facebook kind of person, I'm there as well. So I've got a group, Beyond Your PhD, with Dr. Richard Heismans, as well as a company Facebook page, I guess you could call it, which is Dr. Richard Heismans PL. So um, that's me. Feel free to go and check out all of those different places. And I'm always up for a phone chat. So uh, I'll be at the end of my phone most days during business hours. So please do feel free to call if you've got a question or want to ask something as well. If you do ask for more information after this or you want to engage with me, awesome. Some universities filter my emails. So do keep a lookout in the spam folder for uh, emails if you do ask for stuff from me. I generally don't miss out following people up if they ask for more information at the end of one of these workshops. Um, if you don't have a spam or a junk folder at your university email site, uh, don't write to your IT department and just say you're expecting an email from me, drrichardheismans.com, uh, and see whether they're blocking it at their server end. So on to a little bit about me. I started out as a PhD student at Monash University. Then I exchanged my lab coat for a suit coat. And now I really um, I'll help researchers answer the question, what next? I've been doing this kind of work for more than 10 years. Then I pivoted to doing more coaching, which is basically what I do now. So I help people through online coaching primarily, whether it be grant writing, social media, thesis writing, uh, journal article writing, lots of different things related to being a good academic, or if you've decided that academia is not where you want to hang out, then how you make that tra transition. Ultimately, for most people, most of the time, I'm helping them answer the question, what next? Uh, 
So I'd love to know a little bit about you. You can type in the chat a little bit about yourself, what you're hoping to get from this. I've got a bit of a survey here as well, just to get a bit of an understanding of who's on. If you respond to the poll that I've just put out, I will also um, share that with everyone. So you get a bit of an understanding of who is in the room with us today. Just waiting for a couple more responses. All right, I'll share that now. So you can see most people on this call are established in academia, they're early career researchers, or they're submitting their PhD shortly. So some people with some experience in here. So just because I'm doing the presenting about grant writing doesn't mean you uh, are not an expert yourself. So I'd imagine you're an expert, no doubt. So if you've got some contributions to make, feel free to make those contributions. You can just open up your mic or type in the chat or um, uh, uh, open up your video, any of those kinds of ways of contributing are perfectly fine by me. So for those of you who probably had the lived experience of ARC and NHMRC grant success rates, depending on what program, what year, et cetera, I think this year's NHMRC grants that just were announced, I think that a success rate was down at around 10%. Um, depending on, I haven't paid close attention this year just yet to what the success rates are, um, but certainly, like I said, I heard it was around 10%, So, which is, I, I guess some people think of that as lottery-like numbers and we'd be better off with a lottery. Given that we're not gonna transition to a process like that, we need to improve our success rate. My success rate, depending on what program uh, and what I'm doing, is somewhere between 70 and 100%. So 70% is where I'm at with things like tenders. Um, 80 or 90% is where I'm at with things like um, ARC grants. And 100% is where I'm at with things like proposals. So uh, I get asked by... Uh, people, researchers, to help them write a proposal that might be targeted at something very, very specific where the number of people even eligible is small, let alone the number of people that are awarded um, the, the funding or the outcome. So how do I get to these kinds of success rates? So firstly, I think about 80% of all of my success is attributed to what I would consider to be pre-planning. And as an academic applying for, say, an ARC or an NHMRC grant, um, uh, you know, those kinds of things, pre-planning, I think, is definitely possible and what you should be aiming for. Um, the ARC and the NHMRC definitely make their schedules available, which is one of the really good things about those programs. Uh, obviously, the bad thing is that there's lots of applicants and the success rates are relatively low. Um, so I think do a lot of pre-planning. So the first thing that I think you should all be aware of for yourself is what are your medium to longer term goals? So I'm not talking about a goal for an individual grant here. I'm talking about uh, what do you want to achieve in your research program? So if you're the head of a research group, what do you want for your research group over the next five to 15 years? This is going to be really important when it comes to writing about your opportunities and where a particular grant or a particular opportunity might fit into the context of your piece of work. 
So really knowing what your goals are is really important. And if you haven't sat down and written this up, even if it's one paragraph, uh, you probably haven't spent enough time working on this kind of stuff just yet. Um, and as a result, I would encourage you to do that first before anything else. And when I work with people grant writing, this is often where we start. What's the big picture for you? If you're an entity um, that is a research centre, for example, you might have worked out what a mission is for your research centre or research institute. If you're an individual, uh, you might decide you still want a mission. So a mission is basically how you conduct yourself, what it is that you're aiming to do. So it's not necessarily your goals. They get quite tangible. But your mission might be to... Uh, be to, um, and I don't, I say this very flippantly, to cure cancer through uh, non-animal models of testing treatments. So that to me would suggest that you're interested in the, in the process, processes involved in um, cancer causation as well as cancer uh, treatment, but also that you're not interested in working with animals. So think about an individual or, an, or a mission for yourself. And in many respects, carrying out your mission will result in your goals being achieved. So when, when we're talking about goals, we're not talking about being funded or getting published. We're talking about what specifically will happen. So, you know, will you not necessarily discover the cure, but make progress on that. And what will that progress look like? You know, you'll discover how these things work. You'll discover how that thing works. You'll do that experiment. So that's your mission and your goals. And then the next thing that you should think about is your vision. So what if, if your mission and goals uh, happen, if you're successful in your mission and achieve your goals, what will the world look like or how will the world change as a result of that? So if we go back to that idea of cancer cure um, without using animal models, the world might have not much or very low rates of cancer or they might, there might be high rates of cancer, but lots of, but also equally high rates of remission. And given you're not using animal models, you might have come up with other suitable models that are able to be effective. So, for example, you might work with cell culture and cell lines, or you might work with um, simulations. So perhaps your role is to develop an awesome simulation of biological systems. And so now that, that simulation has resulted in the essentially the creation of a simulated biological um, entity. So that could be um, simulation of how skin cells work, or how different organ or organ systems work, or a simulation of how an entire body or entity works. So that's the vision. What will, how will the world be different as a result of you achieving your goals and carrying out your mission? So these are things that you can do all before you're thinking about writing a grant. And these will all contribute to uh, different sections of your grant, as well as helping place the grant and the granting body in the context of your success, putting their success and your success together. Does anyone have any questions or comments to make in relation to that?
no problem. So the next thing is to think about the process that you use to apply for a grant. It might seem simple that, oh, we, you know, of course I have a process, I read the rules, I write my response, and then I submit it. And that's perfectly fine. But documenting it, having an idea of how long different sections will take you, having an idea of who will be involved, and doing that all in advance is really important. So this is the process that I use, and I always use this process. I use essentially something very similar when it comes to applying for jobs with my clients as well. So the first thing is to read and highlight the rules. Now, one of the things that I've seen often when working with academics, particularly established academics, is that the because the funding rules change so little year to year that they kind of skip this step because they've read them before. And I think as I think might have happened this year with the ARC, they made a, um, an announcement that they wouldn't accept um, non-reviewed print server papers as part of the application that they wouldn't be considered strongly and you might even be ruled out if you refer to those kinds of papers and I think that um, either academics chose to ignore the rules which I guess is your prerogative to ignore the rules or people didn't read them thoroughly and so were unaware when they put in their application it might be considered to be ineligible because they included those references in their application. Now I'm not having a uh, making a comment on whether including those things was right or wrong, but certainly being aware of that's what the rules are is really important. So that I always go through the rules and highlight the keywords. Um, I'll then make sure that I'm across what the mission or the goals of the funding program are. So we're not, so if we're talking about ARC or NHMRC funding programs, we're talking about the individual program. So the ideas grants, the project grants, the program grants, um, linkage grants, centers of excellence, all making sure you understand what the aim of the individual program is because they're all different. And again, highlighting the keywords and the key sections. And that's just a way of raising awareness to those things in your mind. The next thing to do is to highlight and the mission or goals of the funding entity. And so this is about, you know, what does the ARC hope to achieve? What does the NHMRC hope to achieve? Um, this step is particularly important when you're applying for grants to entities that you're not strongly aware of. Or if you're applying for a tender, for example, knowing what it is that the tender body wants to achieve more broadly. So what are their, for example, mission and vision uh, is going to be really important for how you write the grant. Because you want to be able to say in your application that not only does your grant or your project um, address the mission or the goals of the funding program, but it also helps the funding entity make progress towards their bigger mission and goals. And then you can plan your response. So, you know, how, what does building the team look like? How long does that take? Um, you might, you take note down how long it takes to draft the response. You'll know how long it takes to edit the response and then how long it'll take to submit. Now, again, early on in your grant writing career, you might think that it doesn't take that long to submit. Um, and because of the, all of the pre-submission checklists, because in many cases, universities want to have a copy of your grant before it goes in, they might even submit it for you. The submission process itself might take a couple of days and knowing that in advance is really useful. 
Um, and then, of course, writing the grant, you go and implement the plan. So recruit your team, write the grant, review it, and submit it. So that's the process that I use. And this lends itself, in my mind, to doing a lot of stuff in advance. So highlighted in uh, pink are the things that I think you might be able to do in advance, depending on the program. Highlighted in yellow are the things that I can, I reckon you could do in advance, independent of um, whether what grant you're going for. So if you, the program rules are generally available or certainly last year's rules are, are available. And so being a bit across that in advance is useful. The mission and the goals of the funding program are often um, the same each time. So again, pre-reading that, even if it is a year old is okay. Then the funding entity, if they've been around for a while, or even if they're brand new, they've probably got a mission. In fact, if they're brand new, they're probably more likely to have a stated mission. And then you can plan your response. So you know roughly how long it takes to draft something. You know how long it takes to edit something. You know how long it takes to submit something. And then you could even go about drafting some of these sections as well. Does anyone have any questions or experiences they'd like to mention in relation to doing some of this stuff in advance? I have a question. Go for it, ask. So um, what would be a rough timeline for, for a grant? Um, like the, how many months from one to six? Um, yeah. Uh, well, so mostly I'm working in about a one month time frame to do all of this. Um, when I get asked to help people, I generally get asked to help when the funding rules have been announced prior to the funding being open to apply. I know that academics spend a lot of time in advance doing a lot of these kinds of things. Um, and that's okay too. Um, I think, and I'll go into this in, in later on today, I think uh, things that you should focus on uh, the editing process um, and getting that right. And then, like I said, a lot of academics assume the funding rules are not that different. So kind of skip over reading them. I would definitely spend a little bit of time there as soon as they're announced too. So for, a, for an academic, I think a lot of academics allow like three months from one through to six. Mm -hmm. Have you previously allowed any time? What have you done previously? I, th I think uh, it was a fellowship. So um, it was, uh, I can't remember, maybe six months. Yeah. It was uh, the first one. Just now I'm um, just wondering what, what the no normal process is for, yeah. uh, for a grant. For a yeah. If other people on the line want to say how long they allow that would be useful for for me and for uh Razvan, i'm sure feel free to type in the chat generally how long you take i think that's a useful number for people to know um so i think pretty much every single grant or tender has these five components which to me that means that subject to the topic or the goal of the funding opportunity, you can pretty much pre-write a lot of this in advance, which goes towards what what people might, um, or that, that question that um, Razvan asked about how long does it, how long does it take, um, et cetera. So that might be, um, so writing in advance, it might 
necessarily increase the length of time you spend on it, but it also might mean that you can be happier with the progress, particularly if you plan this into your every everyday activities of being an academic. So what do each of these bits have in them? So why this project? I think this project needs to talk about the significance of the piece of work to the funder and their priorities. And to the funding opportunity and the priorities of the opportunity. Now for NHMRC and ARC, sometimes it's, you know, we're, we're about pursuing new knowledge. Sometimes it's about um, understanding a system or a process so that you can create a better one. Sometimes it's understanding a system or a process so you can solve a problem related to the system or the process. But that's generally why we're focusing on this project. Then why me or why us? So increasingly organisations are recognising the track record is uh, can introduce bias. So that might not be necessarily a focus of all grants and tenders. Uh, so just bear that in mind. But your skills, um, circumstances, opportunity, etc. most uh, entities want to know that kind of stuff. So what is about you that make you the best placed person to deliver this piece of work? Uh, and then what we're doing. So obviously, I think it's really useful to relate your approach back to the skills that you have, your experiences, etc. There's no point proposing a new method and unless that method is, uh, I'm not sure that I, I wouldn't propose a new method on a piece of research if you didn't have a, a strong reason for why that method should be used. And particularly if you had zero experience doing it or using it, how you'd make that work. You'd also talk about um, how your approach is addresses the funders priorities or requirements. Don't skip over that. And obviously how it addresses your aims of the program or project that you're proposing. So how are you going to do something? So obviously the order is important. So one of the things that I think is in, is common in academia is the order that we do things varies depending on the audience or de varies depending on what we hope the outcome will be or varies depending on what the output itself is. So we might conduct research in a different order to the way that we would report research. Um, why things are particularly high priority or a low priority. Again, bear in mind that they might have different preferences to you. And so it might not be obvious to them why you want to do it ABC. They might think of um, doing it um, CBA. So you might have to explain why that's the case. You probably include something about dollars in there and risks that you might face. One of the things that I could say for certain is that if a risk to success is obvious in your project, not talking about it 
only makes it look like you haven't considered it. It's not a way of avoiding your um, reviewer from seeing that it exists. So you're probably better off naming the risk and then addressing it and or how you're going to avoid it or how you're going to reduce the likelihood of it happening or if it is likely to happen, how you're going to re reduce the severity. Obviously, the budget section is a big one. Um, so you might you'll talk about why you're using things, how much they cost, um, new versus secondhand, whether you're going to fee for service, access fees, what people might cost, what equipment might cost, um, why this thing, not that thing. My experience of using bud budgets is that depending on who you get, it might be like they might just decide that for whatever reason they can do it cheaper. I find that interesting in academia that that happens because I feel like the people doing the reviewing are the ones that they that can say it can be done cheaper and other people reviewing their grants are probably telling them it can be done cheaper. So everyone thinks it can be done cheaper, but no one actually puts forward a budget that actually gets that. So I think um, just be mindful, I guess, of this and having a strong justification is appropriate. Um, including having proper um, quotes from wherever it might be. So whether that's a quote from the service provider, having a quote, like if you're going to get access to it, you know, consumer electronics, what that would cost if you went to a local, you know, your local JB Hi-Fi, for example, um, the cost of telephony, the cost of... Um, whatever it is, you know, where's the quote that will help justify things in the budget. And so getting access to those things in advance is really useful, right? So, you know, you, you might know that the next piece of work you want to do involves getting access to a piece of research infrastructure that you can get for a fee for service. So why not go to them and ask them for a quote, let them know that you're applying for a grant. Those you know, research platforms, they're often called, have... Um, an idea about what grants do and don't accept and what the quotes look like, and they'll be able to provide you something which is useful for your application. Uh, one of the things that I see often in grants is this idea of farming unicorns. So essentially everything that we're doing is unique and no one's ever done it before. And so we've got to spend heaps of money because the, the other things that exist out in the world aren't exactly right. Um, Whereas what I think happens in reality is that you could probably make use of something that someone else has done previously to help to build on their work. So uniqueness isn't always a selling point. In some cases, it can be a reason why things don't work out. Um, so when I write a grant, this is often what I see people do. So they write these various sections up and they're constantly reviewing. The compliance check often happens at the very end, and that's an annoying process for the research office and for researchers. Um, instead, what I recommend you do is, like I said, read the funding rules. Make sure that in your review process that you're including compliance checks in there. I've, When I've come onto grants at times, I've been the first one to do a compliance check and found out there's a whole bunch of stuff that they've talked about that is outside the scope of the program and we've had to remove it. Um, 
Ironically, I've also seen research officers not be fully aware of what the funding rules are and said we need to remove staff. And then I've pointed out to them that the rules are different and we can do this and we've been successful. So you're being aware of the funding rules yourself is a really useful way of improving your grant success rate and including compliance checks in your reviews. The third reason, the third thing you should do and the thing that I think sets me apart from most other academics and it's impossible, I think, to replicate with other academics is getting a non-expert to review your grant. So for most people, most of the time, you're getting your peers to proofread or read through your application before you submit it. Um, if you can get someone who's not an expert in your area to read through it in advance, that can really help. Someone who's going to point out the jargon, someone who's not afraid to ask what might be considered a stupid question. So I understand the grant process and I, I'm, I guess I've got a PhD, so I'm educated in that sense. Um, but when a, when a person comes to me and says, what do you think of my application? I get to ask a bunch of what might be considered obvious questions because they're not properly handled in the application. So I would encourage you all to get someone outside your discipline to read through your application. And certainly if you're able to participate in a university department school center run review process definitely participate in that put your application in for review review a couple of others um, i definitely think if you ask someone to review your grant you should definitely re be reviewing one and if you want three other people to review your grant then you should definitely be reviewing three other grants that'll also improve your writing um, the next step, I think people have kind of implied this, but um, don't be afraid to resubmit previously failed grants. In, um, in the recent funding round reading on Twitter, there are definitely people out there who, whose application got rejected last round who ostensibly um, resubmitted the same application this round and it got funded. So don't be afraid to resubmit and that'll be a time-saving thing for you as well. Um, and you can, you know, rework applications for different purposes as well. So don't be afraid to do that as well. Obviously you can't apply to the same funding round. You know, no, I'm not talking about breaking rules here, um, but certainly making use of older applications is a useful way of saving time and effort. Um, I definitely would, if I work with academics for an extended period of time, we always go through what their funding schedule looks like so you can block out time in your diary and vice versa. So if you're also delivering some teaching, then you might block out time in your diary to know that I can't do grant writing work. And, and this goes for everything, not just grant writing, but I can't do grant writing work on these days or at these times because I've got to deliver lectures or, or I'm going to be marking at this point. And then if you know when the grants are due and you have a rough idea how long you have historically spent on grants, then you can block out time. You know, so let's say the grant opens and it, uh, is open for a month for you to put your application into that. You might decide that you want to spend two hours a day on your application, whether that's 
chasing up references, chasing up staff, chasing up quotes, writing or drafting, reading the literature. And so I would block that out in your diary so you don't lose that time. The other thing that I think happens a lot in academia is we're worried that if we share our grant around, there are winners and losers. And certainly, definitely, you know, if I get funded, then that means the chances of you getting funded are lower. So I acknowledge that that is possible. But I think if we if we get over ourselves around that and ask other people to review our applications, we'll, we'll end up with stronger applications overall. So I guess be mindful that that might that there's some that sharing might lead to an increase in quality of other people's grants, but it'll also be increasing the quality of your grants. So don't be I, I would strongly encourage you to share your grants around, particularly if you've got funded to help other people along the way. And that's basically what that quote is. That's everything that I wanted to cover off today. Did anyone have any questions or does anyone have anything that they would like to review or an experience they'd like to share? Richard, can, can you talk a bit about uh, choosing your team? Mm -hmm. So any, any particular question other than how to choose the team, like anything more specific than that? It was just whether their people, obviously they, they need to bring skills to mm -hmm. the grant, mm -hmm. but should they be people you already know? Is it okay to go to people you haven't had a relationship with before, for example, or working out mm -hmm. how many people you need to address a particular issue? Yeah. So I think you need to, it needs to be fit for purpose. So should you work with someone that you haven't worked with before? So they're from a funding agency perspective, the answer might be no, because you don't know whether the two of you can get along or the three of you or the four of you or whatever the number is. And I've definitely had tenders, not grants, tenders that I've applied for where the funding agency forced two of us to work together because they liked my approach, but they were unclear that I could be, because as an individual, whether I would be able to sustain my operations for the duration of the response. So they wanted me to team up with essentially a hospital in order to deliver the piece of work. So they forced us together. And they were, so in that case, they were happy to force us to work together, even though we'd never had previously done so. Um, from your own perspective, should you work with someone that you ha haven't worked with before? So I think uh, I personally wouldn't put someone on an application that I'd had almost zero interaction with. Um, so the process of drafting the application might give you an ex idea of what that person's like to work with. Uh, don't make excuses for the person during the application phase. So for example, I've seen people say, oh, you know, so-and-so didn't really participate in the application, but I'm sure once we get funded, they'll participate. They've got a good reputation for being involved in whatever it might be, delivery of the pieces of work. But I think their involvement in the application process is probably a, an indication of how they'll be like if the application is funded. So definitely, like at the very least, you know, in this, I guess with um, COVID, you might not be able to have a coffee with them, but certainly a Zoom chat wouldn't go astray before you invite them to be involved. And being open and honest about 
the what you're doing oh i'm conducting essentially i'm conducting an interview that will you know to determine whether we should work together um there are people out there that would probably if you're going to if you're considering a collaborator that would advise you not to disclose a lot of your um, ideas to that person because they could steal them that from my perspective that is a really negative way to view the world and um, if you followed any of my content you see that i probably give i probably give away 80 percent of what i know um, and the other 20 percent, i probably don't give it away because i don't know that i know it so I, it's hard to give it away if i if it's not you know immediately front of mind um, so i'm of the view sharing is better than not sharing um, and then in terms of the number of people, that's, you know, what can the project, what does the project need and what can it afford? So the, obviously the bigger the team gets, the harder it is to manage that team, but the less work each individual needs to do. Um, management theory, people management theory suggests one manager to a maximum of seven subordinates. And if you think about the way universities are structured, deans, heads of school have way more than seven subordinates. So I don't know that universities care about what the academic literature says about the best way to manage people. But that, that would be my approach to building the team. Does that help? Yeah. Uh, yes, thank you. That's really helpful. That's no really problem. helpful. Is it I'll wing up on, on that one. So, for example... Yes. There are some grants, let's say uh, ideas grant with which have CIA, CIB, whatever. Mm -hmm. You have teams of five. Um, mm -hmm. What's the uh, hierarchy in in such a in such a team? I, I'm guessing it's um, um, uh, much shallow. The hierarchy uh, you don't actually have subordinates there with whom you're working. How, how is the Notionally, a project should have a leader. So I acknowledge that you might think about the structure being flat in those cases, but I'm guessing that, you know, the named leader, I think, you know, depending on the nomenclature, that might be CIA or principal investigator. Um, they are ultimately responsible for the successful conduct of the entire piece of work. So I still think that your collaborators in that instance, a subordinate to you, they might not report to you. You might have, um, you know, that saying all care and no responsibility. So they have, you know, their KPIs, their ability to be promoted is entirely unrelated to how well they perform on your individual grant. So managing them might be difficult, um, but certainly having a massive grant with a lot of collaborators, then you'll need to work out how to, structure the whole thing and i think that goes to governance and that might be in and project management and those sections of the application might be how you can say you can manage the whole thing because you'll have a structure that allows you to um, share responsibility as well as success so basically uh, in this case uh, you don't want to use your collaborators won't be too high uh, uh, to hire uh, to hire above you, right? Oh, so, no, sorry. I didn't fully answer, didn't really answer, understand the question. So no, I think you need to choose a collaborator who is fit for purpose. So for example, if you are 
an early career researcher, I would be happy for you to choose anyone from the academic spectrum as a collaborator. So that might be a professor. And in fact, you might choose to collaborate with a professor because they have done the established technique that you need to apply to your application to make the whole thing work. And then part of that process would be that professor is teaching you to do a range of things, including be a good academic leader, but also, you know, how to use that technique or how to do that analysis or whatever it might be. So I'd I, just because, so in the terms of the project, they are subordinate to you, but in terms of academic life, they may well be senior to you. So I don't, I don't think it matters. I think it's just worth being clear on how you expect the whole thing to be managed. I hope that's a better answer to the question. And then if you, uh, I'm just imagining these things, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, if let's say you, you collaborated with two professors and the mm-hmm. project has two parts, mm-hmm. um, you establish a budget, but you know, the budget is not, or some parts need more, more money sometimes than, than other parts. Uh, yes. They, uh, one, uh, one part might be pushing for, uh, for more money than, uh, than established. So there might be conflicts there. Yeah, that's ex- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just how um, um, what what would be the the approach? I mean, I, I'm I'm imagine that you have to establish a, a clear cut budget as um, as far as as much as you can in the beginning, but uh, things uh, change over the over the years, right? Over the yes, the yeah, life of the project. Mm. So I think like you said, establish a clear cut budget to start with. And then not it might not be in the grant application itself, but it might be part of your invitation for the person to collaborate with you that says, you know, you're notionally the project lead. And so you get to make the final decision about all of those things. And then you say, here is a process for dispute resolution that might be like, I'm not talking about writing up something massive, but something that's short that says, you know, in the event of a dispute around ABC, we'll follow the process listed in um, the University of A's dispute resolution process. And then, so that kind of says, here's the formal process for all of that. Then what what happens in reality? So I would be using first principles to work out, well, what's happened? So if project A ended up being cheaper, and project B ended up being more expensive, then it's easy to justify. Well, you know, A, we saved 20% with you and B's gone up by 20%. It was equal funding. Now we can offset those. And that that makes pragmatic sense. As the named investigator on this grant, I'm making the decision to shift the funds around. If, if it's not as easy as taking off A and adding to B or vice versa, how do you do it? So like my view would be uh, you as a researcher need to work out, well, what's most important in all of this? So is project A, let's say it's going to cost $10,000 more, is project A essential to success? If project B is, even if if project B is only saving us $2,000, do we say to project B, no, no, you can have the extra two because giving the extra two to project A is going to achieve nothing. They need 10. So we're going to cut the last part of A off so that we can progress. Okay. Is that useful? Not useful? Yeah, I mean, it, these are hypothetical situations. Yes. It's just, um, um, you also have, in, I guess, in, in some projects to put people as collaborators and as mentors um, mm-hmm. and maybe that 
that would be another solution no um, no associate investigators with, with yes uh, correct not mentors yeah so choose a, a team um, choose a what sorry an, an executive team and then a, a mentoring team let's say Yes. Yeah. If you'd like to do that, you could definitely set things up that way. Definitely. Particularly if there's scope in the program, the, the grant program to have that kind of overarching structure. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Richard, are there any? Yeah, go ahead. Could I, how, how are you a little bit more? Can you tell us how you preempt some of the grants coming out? Because I find sometimes that we're a little bit reactive and trying to at the last minute getting at that grant done and pushing mm -hmm. that line so how do you actually predict some of those grants or the funding uh, calendar that's produced by so, the arc go on or like more the category two to four grants that maybe don't have those set deadlines every year yeah uh then it's luck and happy being happy to plan in advance so um like I would go back and historically see, well, are these things coming out? And um, let's say it's a philanthropic thing that you're, that you're thinking might come out. From my perspective, there's nothing wrong with you asking the philanthropic trust, do you expect to run this program again next year or will it run again soon? How will you run? Um, but knowing, knowing a lot of what I said at the start, so like your mission, your vision, your goals, all of those kinds of things makes it much easier to write or to even identify opportunities. Um, how connected are you to your research office? Because their funding calendar that they send out relatively, or my experience with this, particularly the Victorian universities, um, they have got information that is, that might not be available to the everyday researcher, but is available to the research office that can say, yeah, we're expecting the blah, blah, blah trust to release their opportunities in a week. Yeah, that's, yeah. So asking, seeing if, uh, when other grants have been released in the past and trying to. Yeah. 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 Yeah, have a look and see. Oh, yeah, the last three of the last five years, every two years, they've released this. All right, cool. We'll take a bet that it will come out on on this. But also, if you like, I said, if you know what you want to do next, or what you want to do in five years, or, or over the next five years, knowing what you want to do next becomes much easier. You're not waiting for a grant opportunity to allow you to progress. You're written up a program that says, here's what's going to happen over the next blah, blah, blah. Like, I know I don't have funding for that. That's fine. But I know what my plan is. And then, then so when funding becomes available or you hear of a funding announcement coming out, you can, you're still reacting. And it's almost impossible in that instance to not react. But you've written so much of what you want to do because you've got this idea of this is what my research pro th this is my ideal research program moving forward thank you yeah that's a good point if um no problem if doing that is something that you want to do feel free to ask me for more info um i've just got a poll this is really easy way for me to follow up with you if you want or need anything based from today or what you've heard today like i said check your junk if you respond to the poll i'll definitely get back in touch with you um so if you're interested in doing some of this planning stuff and you haven't done it and having some structure around it might be useful for you 
the 25th of Jan, I'm going to run it. I think it's now, for whatever reason, I thought the 26th was a Tuesday. I'm going to check that right now. Yeah, so I oh know. Yeah, so yeah, Tuesday the 25th next year, I'll be doing a planning day if that's something that you'd be interested in being part of. Um, even it says there's students, ECRs, and academics. So the, obviously, different people will have different ideas of what it is that they want to do, but um, it the planning strategies are equally relevant regardless of the stage of even the stage of life, to be honest, that you're at. Um, so I expect you'll get some value out of that. Um, ongoing coaching, there's a group that we meet every month as well as have some one-to-one -one meetings. If that's interested in you, interest of interest to you, let me know and I'll get you some information. And more of these kinds of things. There's only a couple left for the rest of the year. In two weeks, it's strategic planning. Two weeks after that, I'm doing a half day, which is project management for research. So if you're interested in learning more about different project management approaches and how they might be relevant to research, um, you know, follow the QR code or go to my events page and you'll be able to get access to the information and, and register there for it. Um, we are well over time. Thank you very much for your time. If you want to hang around, you can. I'll hang around for a little bit. Um, and otherwise, I'll see you on the socials. Bye. Hi. Thank you very okay, much. Lynn. That's all right. <laughs> um, I'm going to be at a conference for that next meeting, the strategic planning one. Is mm -hmm. there some other way I can yep. access so some of that content? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's all recorded like this one is. Uh, so it'll go up on YouTube a couple of weeks later. If I was you, register in advance. I don't really mind if people register and don't show up. Like, it's not awesome, but it's fine. And that'll mean you'll get early access to everything. Like, so as soon as it's recorded, you'll get that. So, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And in terms of registering for that, how's it best that I access that registration? Oh, off the, yeah, off the events page on my website. So okay. if yeah. you, I'll put that slide back up. Hopefully the QR code works on the left. Um, you should be able to grab that. But if drrichardheismans.com slash events, it's all my coming events, all the past events. Yep. Great. Thanks very much. That was no really problems, good. Caitlin. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If there's no further questions, I'm going to head off. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Hope you had a good day. Enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it too. Bye. <laughs>